was set. Roared on by Katy Perry and 86,174 at the MCG, Australia came up trumps in the T20 World Cup final for the fifth time and partied with the singer-songwriter after as well. Welcome to another episode of ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. And if I don't sound like the familiar voice of Srina Chipath, it is because Sri has left us for Pasha's new. My name is Karthik Ayer, and I will soon leave you with two of our very best, Onesha Ghosh and Andrew McGlashan. Onesha and Nasha covered the T20 World Cup for us, were at the MCG for the momentous final, and in Melbourne for the celebrations after. Welcome to Melbourne, the day after Australia's uh, convincing victory in the World T20 Final. I'm Andrew McGlashan and I'm joined by Anesha Ghosh to look back um, on that match and the tournament as a whole after what has been two and a half weeks of some fantastic cricket and uh, fast, a fantastic time for the women's game. Uh, just start off with today, Anesha, we've been down at the um, Federation Square to see the Australians brought out in front of their fans um, not the first time they've done that. They did that after the 2018 tournament when they came home. But this one felt a bit different, a bit more special, and it felt like the coming together of a lot of things that just worked out perfectly in the end. Them to be champions on home soil after some problems they had. In the end, I mean, Indian fans probably won't feel this way, but it did feel like the perfect finish. Certainly, and... To begin with, the way Matthew Mott expressed himself, he uh, equated this victory, this title triumph as perhaps even more than uh, something more joyous than the birth of his child, his marriage. So that tells you what this really means to uh, Matthew Mott and also the entire team because this is a this is a side that has gone through its share of ups and downs, too many injuries, uh, their, their major, uh, one of their key players in Ellis Perry getting ruled out of the tournament ahead of the semi-finals. Tyler Blymink, uh, of course, one of their key uh, personnel in the pace department, also suffering a campaign-ending blow right at the start. For them to overcome all of this and make their way on Labor Day, it's a Monday, just the morning after the World Cup final, uh, the glitter, the glamour, the delirium that took place, that came about uh, at the MCD, for them to make their way to the Federation Square, meet their fans. Gosh, how many autographs did they give? You know, they kept signing one T-shirt after another, one bat uh, after another. That tells you what this really means to the team. Uh, that tells you what the import of a home World Cup is for the world's best side. Let's just go back to yesterday and talk a bit about the game. I mean... We'll start at the beginning because that's where Australia took charge straight away. Um, Alyssa Healy dominating in the power play, dominating for the first half of the innings. Um, She played the innings of a lifetime, I think we can call it. She came into the tournament, a few question marks over her form. I think more so just the fact that she'd been on such a magnificent run for two years. Suddenly the scores dried up. Everyone thought, oh, is she going to run out of runs before the tournament proper? In the end, emphatically, not the case. But... What did you make of the way she was able to just take that final in front of 80-odd thousand people by the scuff of the neck and dominate it from ball one? Her case was eased to a great extent by the three full tosses she got up front from Deepthi Sharma. And she mentioned at the Federation Square today that the moment she struck the first ball of the innings of the final for a four, she walked up to Beth Mooney and said, hey, the Indians are under pressure, not us. So that sort of set the tone for Healy's innings, and uh, you're right, Andrew. Uh, it didn't look like uh, she had she had been having the kind of tournament she would like to. Yes, that was there was this 150 right at the start. Then 
a spell of a sort of lull that uh, that punctuated that innings in the tournament opener and the final. But hey, if somebody, if one of your key players comes to the party in the fashion Alisa Healy did, I think the Australia uh, Australian management won't be complaining about the the lull that uh, they faced in the middle of the tournament. And of course, the support act from Beth Mooney was also key because her playing second fiddle helped Alisa um, express herself in the in the manner she would usually do. And Shikha Pandey also said at the mix zone yesterday that there are moments on a cricket field on days when you just have to sit back and watch and doff your hat to your opponent. And that's what uh, Alisa Healy's innings was like because it reminded, perhaps, uh, it must have reminded the Indian team of Harman Preet's knock at the 2017 ODI World Cup semi-final against Australia when the Australian fielders, their bowlers, looked absolutely clueless. When Alisa Healy got to that uh, 50, it was the fastest 50 in a in a T20 World Cup final across men's and women's cricket. I'm pretty sure Harman Preet Kaur must have been scratching her head. What bowler do, do I bring on? She used her uh, uh, key uh, key uh, spin bowler in uh, Poonam Yadav, did not work. Her pacer got tonked one ball after another. She was running out of options and it showed uh, in the in the in the in the body language of the Indian fielders and there was really very little the Indians could have done given the kind of onslaught, the rampage that Alisa Healy went on. And there were two shots that stood out for me in that innings from Healy. It was the eighty three meter six over long on and then the inside out drive over cover that just brought that second one especially just brought sort of gasps of amazement. Yeah. We've seen some brilliant striking in this tournament um Sophie Devine, Liz Ali, Laura Rolvart, um, Shafali Verma, uh, but those couple of blows from from Healy kind of stood out, and it looked as that was an innings. It felt like an innings on a different level than anything we'd seen in the tournament because of the pressure, a home final. Um, I mean, and just be able to channel that emotion into innings, yes, helped by some poor fielding, some wayward bowling, but to be able to channel that in that moment, I guess, goes to emphasise how good she is and how good the Australians have been and how much experience they have in those crunch moments and do you think that was one of the key factors in what happened yesterday? Certainly and looking at Alisa Healy's bill she's not one of the tallest uh, players in the Australian side what Ian Bishop mentioned on commentary yesterday was she's got this stable base which helps her generate the power and all of her sixes all of her boundaries were clean strikes she was not slogging and it was a delight to watch proper cricketing shots fetching her the kind of runs that uh, they warranted. And yes, Alisa Healy's, those those two sixes, as you mentioned, especially the 83-meter one, certainly put the Indians on the back foot because when somebody goes on the offensive in that fashion, to stem the momentum is a real challenge and Harman Preet wasn't quite able to muster uh, muster the thinking or or the strategies that perhaps was needed at that point to stall the momentum and get it back in India's favour. That didn't happen and Healy played one of the innings, uh, best innings of her career. Uh, you've already mentioned uh, Beth Mooney there. You wrote about her the day before the final. Excellent timing. Thankfully. Uh, <laughs> excellent timing on, on that piece. And in a way, the innings that she played sort of ticked all those Beth Mooney boxes. It was under the radar while... Healy was going bonkers in the power play, yet she finishes the top scorer. She ends up as player of the tournament yeah. with a record amount of runs without anyone really, at any point, really picking her out as 
the key player and that seems to have been a theme as you wrote about over the last year 18 months where she's found this whole new level of consistency so it would have I suspect been no surprise to you to see her there doing that sort of innings I mean again just just the sort of trademark knock that she's become known for what a moment for Beth Mooney really to cap off a season to cap off not just a season a three year run of sorts she's been the player of the final player of the uh, final at the 2018-19 WBBL the following season too she repeated the feat for Brisbane Heat another uh, another title for Brisbane Heat uh, at the tri-series final too she took the game away from the Indians and here she was again again uh, making sure that the kind of tournament she had she made the most of it and used all of that uh, momentum she had gathered for the for the biggest and the most important game of the tournament and yes uh, she's always been somebody who's flown under the uh, radar you would you would obviously not be talking about a Beth Mooney ahead of a Meg Lanning or an Alice Perry because that's not uh, what the what the Australian team uh, that we've seen over the years has projected itself as but yes here are are some key players who who make sure that despite staying behind the scenes they perform and come the big day come the big stage they put up their put their hands up and make sure that their performances count and yeah just take the momentum away from from the opposition another player you could put in that bracket is probably Jess Jonathan who <laughs> just keeps chipping in with wickets bowls power playovers bowls at the death bowls to the key players and again she may not get the headlines of a perry or, or, or a shut um but um she really is an invaluable member of that of that bowling attack as mooney is with the batting order probably it's down to that brisbane heat connect again i asked Brett, beth mooney at the uh, during the interview do you do you share a special relationship with somebody like uh, jess because a she's a left-hander and she's been with uh, been with been teammates with Mooney for a while now and she did say that she did say that uh, Jess Jonathan has got this personality which is very similar to Mooney's she would want to perhaps stay uh, behind the scenes and get the job done without much fuss and uh, yes two of the key uh, players two of the key architects in B- Brisbane Heat's most recent successes also came to the floor and made sure that the Australian team's most significant uh, world cup is comes about in a fashion comes about uh, a in the kind of manner that has the hallmark of a Beth Mooney and Jess Johnson which would be hard to pick on the surface but yes their their contributions have been immense and significant you mentioned they both come from a very successful domestic team we'll talk about slightly bigger picture things towards the end of this podcast and no doubt the WBBL might be a theme we touch on again but do you think it's any secret that those two players who are so consistent come from a side that is so successful domestic they play under pressure week in week out during a six seven eight week tournament um and that sort of high level competition has got to be one of the reasons why australia are as good as they are for sure i mean you've got to find your way back into form uh, if you start off on a slow note if you're not getting the runs there has to be ways uh, that you're able to uh, get your get yourself back into the groove you cannot simply give up and say this is not happening this is not my tournament unfortunately there were a few indian players who simply could not get going through this tournament and they were the big guns their failure came to the fore in the final when their bowlers failed the bowlers have been doing the bulk of the heavy lifting through the tournament shufali varma failed you cannot expect one player to be performing every single game and that collective failure of varma and also the bowling contingent especially the spinners threw into a sharp contrast threw into a sharp focus 
the failure of some of the big wigs in the Indian batting contingent like Smriti Mandana and Harman Kaur, a lot was expected of them. Uh, you would perhaps be expecting them to have come good in the final, saving their best for that one last uh, uh, one last game, but unfortunately that didn't happen. And it all comes down to how many games you play within uh, within a tight schedule. And I think Smriti Mandana mentioned this uh, at the mix zone yesterday that the more you play, the kind of the more uh, more more games you play within a within a short period of time the more opportunities you get to iron out your creases you know you identify your your shortcomings uh, that may not come to the fore during a bilateral series that you may be you may be playing uh, after a two month gap or a three month gap if there are opportunities of playing a number of games within a packed schedule such as the World Cup, such as the, the, the WBBL, the Kia Super League, which is now defunct. I think there will be uh, improvements uh, on the part of players on the Indian side and on, uh, on, the, on the part of the other subcontinental sides as well. But yes, uh, the WBBL success has been at the heart of Australia's many World Cup triumphs and this is no different. Just looking at India and the, the, the top order you, you mentioned there, um, not enough runs from from a number of, of the key players. Um, do we need to remember that outside of Han and Preet Kaur, they are still a pretty young team and there's clearly a lot of future growth in this team and maybe everyone looking at this team on paper thought, this is the best chance India ever got to win a tournament. But maybe in hindsight, it's, a, it's an addition too early. Do you think a key now... And we saw some emotion in some of the younger players yesterday coming off. Uh, Shafali Verma, Rika Ghosh seemed quite emotional when they were dismissed. Is one of the key things now is how they, you could say, help those players after this moment and, and look to the future, build for the future so that there's no scarring, but they see it as a learning experience? Most definitely. I mean, the bottom line remains this has been a spectacular campaign for the Indian women's T20 team. T20 cricket has never been their uh, strong suit. They've always been a fantastic uh, ODI outfit. They've been a world-beating, they've got their, got this world-beating potential as an ODI team, but hey, two years ago, if you would have said, uh, or three years ago, if, you, if somebody would have said they would be making uh, a semi-final in 2018 and the following edition they would be finalists, well, I would be, I wouldn't have, I would have taken that with a pinch of salt. Uh, but that they have come this far and W.B. Raman, the head coach, has done um, a terrific job because for him to um, take charge of a young team and also to man-manage the different personalities uh, within uh, within the setup is a huge challenge. And in the past, we've seen that, uh, you know, being, uh, being at the heart of things other than cricket that have stalled the, stalled the growth of this team. So W.B. Raman uh, has to be given, given a lot of credit for... Uh, for bringing this team together, bringing the best out of the individuals uh, and making sure even if there were um, failures on the part of individuals, the team performance helped them sail through the league stage, which is exactly what they did. Despite the failure of some of their big names, big battles, their their bowlers hauled them, loved them through that that disappointing phase for the batters and made sure they're into, into the final. Do you think there's a danger that the margin of defeat in the final and they didn't get close from first over to last, it was never a contest, do you think there's a danger of that um, hitting the development of the game in the short term or has there been enough good happen that that margin of defeat won't matter too much? It would have been nice if they got close, it would have been brilliant for India if they'd won it. Do you think there's any danger of when they get back home there's a bit of like, well look, you've, 
you're still so far short of Australia and it might it might stunt the growth for a little while or do you think there's enough realisation now that there has to be more investment in the women's game and, it, and it's just going to keep growing? There are two parts uh, to the answer you know, to this question. A, every time somebody would say, hey, you were given a hiding uh, by Australia in the final, perhaps somebody from the Indian side would look back at them, them and say, did you even watch our tournament opener? Because things were uh, drastically different in, one, in that game. And this is pretty much the same team they were playing. And of course, that team also had Ellis Perry. Um, so to say that uh, this the, their performance in the final would uh, tarnish the kind of performance they've had through the league stage and through the tournament would be uh, somewhat unfair. Uh, yes, there would be a lot of introspection. There would be a lot of review in terms of uh, their feeling, especially their fitness levels. Those two fa- those two points were uh, clearly the deciding factors between uh, a victory and a defeat, as Smriti Mandana rightly mentioned. And uh, as far as more investments from the board uh, is concerned, yes, there it's it's always a yes because the question that remains to be answered is. What comes first? Is it a world title that would lead to a full-fledged women's IPL or a women's IPL that would lead to a world title? And I think it has to be the other way around. A full-fledged league where you get a number of young girls, give them the kind of exposure that they wouldn't get uh, get otherwise until they obviously play international cricket. Once you create that bench strength, you will find more Richard Ghoshas, more Shafali Varmas coming to the fore and out of nowhere, uh, an injury to somebody, uh, an injury to um, an an Ellis Perry-like player in your national team will no longer be um, a a point of difference in your performance because you'll have that... uh, have that backup, and the quality of the backup will perhaps be uh, as good as uh, as the frontline batter or bowler making up your playing eleven. So, certainly, uh, this is something the board, uh, I'm pretty sure, is looking at, and they've already expanded the uh, three-team women's T20 challenge that took, took place in Jaipur last year to a four-team affair this time around. It's gonna take, it's gonna be held sometime around late April or uh, May. I'm given to understand and. Yes, more opportunities, but uh, the more we realize that the sooner uh, an IPL-style league uh, takes place in India, in India, the better it would be for the for the health of their national team. And things like these, an 85-run uh, margin of defeat may perhaps come down to a 10-run margin of, of defeat or perhaps may not be a defeat at all. Uh, before we just move on from the final, I, I think it's kind of just worth saying as well that the way Australia came out of this tournament, we've touched on it in the chat already, every game they saved their best till last, Meg Lanning said on the day before the final, she hoped they'd saved their best for last and they certainly had each of the games before then had a different challenge, you had the defeat in the first game you had a batting wobble, 10 for 3 against Sri Lanka, uh, Bangladesh they swept away, but they had to do that anything less would yep. have been um, not acceptable in, in a sense, a, a surprise the crunch game against New Zealand they got tight and then of course the rain drama around the semi-final and it was interesting listening to Meg Lanning and Matthew Mott both today and over the last few days talking about how this title means probably more because they've really had to fight for it they've had hurdles you've mentioned the injuries to Valemic and Perry and I I was thinking about this a bit today actually I almost think it shows why they are still so far the best so far the best and like we we are going to talk in a little bit about more general things about this tournament and the gap has closed I think there has been some very good performances from some of the perhaps middle lower ranked teams but just looking at the way Australia did that there's no other team I don't think in the women's game 
that could lose two key players like that and go through all the stresses and just not lose the plot, basically, and just not let it... With a home... The pressures of a home final... I mean, Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy, you could name the squad, have been on billboards, have been on radio shows. We've talked to them, it feels like, every week for about a year. Different events. They come to the tournament, a bit of a stop-start fair, and yet they still go on and win it with such a tremendous performance in the final. And that, I think, speaks more for the team than going through and beating and winning every game by if they'd won every game by the margin of the final you wouldn't have begrudged it it wouldn't have meant any less but they've had to dig so deep that you do you wonder who is actually now going to catch them on a consistent basis someone will you hope and it might be India I mean it might be England I thought they were very unlucky because yeah, I think totally. I think they would have had a good chance of toppling India in, in that semi-final but we saw in the Ashes just a year ago or less than a year ago how big a gap that that was then so the way Australia have done this just makes me feel that actually or maybe the gap from them to the others is in one way it's closing but another it, it, it's as big as it's ever been and it's going to be very interesting to see which of those other teams India, England uh, maybe South Africa it'll be interesting this series coming up Australia, South Africa in South Africa although there's not much riding on it how close South Africa can push them because Australia have, have won this Handsomely, but with so many challenges, and that just is the hallmark of a of a, of a great World Cup winning team. Let's step away from uh, Melbourne for a bit, all the way to sunny London, where we're joined by ESPN Cricket Info's general editor Valkyrie Baines. Hey, Val. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Though I've been stressing all day on whether I'll get the pronunciation of your name right. How did I do? You got it first time. Well done. Though maybe I shouldn't have said sunny London. Because Heather Knight was pretty clear, no more jokes about the English weather. I know, it's a bit of a sore point and it always is here anyway. But for yeah, for it to affect the cricket, it won't be the first time or the last. But um, in terms of general everyday life, I woke up this morning and exclaimed, oh my goodness, the sun is shining. It feels like it's been quite a while. So it was very sunny. It's a bit overcast now. But uh, yeah, it's a fairly bright, very early spring day. And we love talking about the weather over here. So uh, don't get me started. Unfortunately for England, though, Sydney wasn't sunny on semi-final day. Val, how's the feeling back home about England being knocked out of the 2020 World Cup without technically being defeated in the semi-finals? Yeah, it's just such a shame. You know, like like I just alluded to then, I mean, it's not the first or last time a cricket match is going to be affected by the weather, but uh, but for it to be in such a big match with no backup plan in the form of a reserve day i think was just uh, was just really really unfortunate and whether they they played the match and uh, you know what might have happened you never know in in t20 cricket what can happen I, but the travesty of the whole situation was the fact that they didn't get on the park means we'll never know um so i think there's a, a little bit of a a sense of what might have been here Maybe there's also the sense that England have exhausted all their luck in World Cups. Yeah, perhaps, uh, perhaps that is the case. I mean, the, the way the whole tournament panned out that for, for England, I mean, that, that first loss to South Africa, which came as a bit of a, a surprise, uh, to them, it meant they had to fight every single match just to stay in the tournament. Um, and then just not to be able to test themselves on on the final or the penultimate stage, I should say. Um, Yeah, it it really hurt. I'm glad you mentioned South Africa, Val, because we also have with us our correspondent from Cape Town, Firdos Munda. 
Thanks for having me. And I just want to start by saying it's a beautiful summer's day in Cape Town. So sorry about that, Val. We've had no rain for weeks, months. In fact, not since the two winters ago when we had a big drought. So everything's great. Is it yet again, Firdos, a case of what might have been for South Africa at a world event? Oh, definitely. I think um, just the, the heartache so many times. And I think the day of the um, semi-final, we actually had a graphic up of some of South Africa's World Cup disasters over the many, many years. Some of the pictures didn't even get in there. But uh, it was quite something to see how many times we've had players on the floor crying, having teammates pick them up, uh, tears on the field. So, yeah, really unfortunate this time. I think South Africa wouldn't have minded the rain, to be honest, um, despite what Danef and Nikak said about wanting to play the semi-final and, and not get a free pass into the final. I think had it rained and had they got into the final and played India, judging on the way India played, I think South Africa would have had a really good chance to win. To quote Dani Vanekirk. And again, we, we are here to play cricket and I'd rather lose than, than get a free pass into the World Cup final. When we saw the press conference, it seemed like she was talking about South Africa in the context of that semi-final versus Australia. But unfortunately, it has been seen by many as a jibe towards India and their their route to the final, their part to the final. No, I don't think it was that at all. I think what you're finding is uh, having to maybe reconcile some of her own thoughts about having played a shortened game. And, you know, South Africa are not that great when the game gets shorter. So to, to have the game reduced like that would have been to their disadvantage. And I suppose she was trying to reconcile that with the fact that they lost, with the fact that two other teams didn't have to play. And I don't think it was meant in any way to be malicious towards anyone. I think what we're finding with the women's cricket is, especially for some of the, the nations, the, the smaller nations outside of the big three, is that they're, they're still, we're getting quite a lot of honesty, quite a lot of raw comment, and it's not very polished. So that's the way we like it. We don't want to see our sportsmen all reading off scripts. And uh, I think that's exactly what Dane van Nikak was doing. I think it's an overreaction to, to see it any other way. Yeah, fair. Val, I love listening to Heather Knight at press conferences and especially the one after England were knocked out in that devastation fashion in the semifinals. She was there. She was smiling. Yeah, I think um, I just think she sh- showed some great leadership there and um, and and sportsmanship. I mean, she she was pretty pragmatic in saying, "Look, this is what we signed up for." But she was also honest, and she said, "Look, I do hope that there is a rule change and that we do have." reserve days in future. Um, I mentioned her, her leadership and I, I think um, the other nice point that she made was that she said, look, it's been a great tournament. She looked at the bigger picture. She said, look, this has been great for the sport as a whole, having such a wonderful tournament. Um, but then, as I said, she was pretty honest in saying, you look, I do hope the rules get looked at and changed um, and, you know, so that we do get a reserve day in future. And I have to agree with her. I, I do hope that that is the case and we do get reserve days so that this situation is avoided in future. From an England perspective, uh, they they had a pretty good tournament despite, I guess, uh, that first match loss I mentioned already and then, you know, what happened with uh, the not being able to play the semi-final. The fact that they had the third and fourth highest run scorers in Nat Siver and Heather Knight um, despite having played two fewer matches than the top two, who were Beth Mooney and Alyssa Healy. I think that was really, really encouraging for them. Um, and similarly, in the bowling stakes, Sophie Eccleston, she's not 21 until May, but she played her um, 
sorry, she got her 50th T20I test wicket during their last group match against West Indies. She ended up with eight wickets for the tournament. And again, that was having played two fewer matches than Megan Schutt, who was, um, was top with 13. So I think those three were standouts for England. And I'd say Eccleston's performance was, um, yeah, really terrific from such a youngster. It's suggesting that the, the future is very bright. About Sophie Eccleston as well, it was hilarious when she spoke about her friendship with her spin squadron and the fact that she finally has people in the squad who listen to the same music as her. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and, and that's true. There's, there was three around 2021, um, herself, Sarah Glenn, who was a bit of a revelation, um, during the tournament as well. She, um, she only made her debut in December, uh, against Pakistan in that series in, in Kuala Lumpur. So she's only been, you know, playing at international level for three months and she was, um, was quite a, a revelation and she's one of that, uh, that contingent. And then, um, Maddie Villiers also, she had limited opportunities, but um, Heather Knight was saying she had been uh, just champing to get um, get on the the field, and then when she did, I think she had a, a wicket maiden first over. So um, the future is very bright, and just the fact that they all get along and they all yeah um, have something in in common off the field as well as on, as um, as Sophie uh, pointed out, is uh, yeah it suggests really really good things for the future. I think. Um, in terms of overall for the tournament, um, I guess, I mean, you, you've got to look at the Australians and that's not just because of my accent betraying me there, but um, you have to look at the Australians and I think that, you know, the final performance of um, Alyssa Healy and, and Beth Mooney, I mean, it was just fairy tale given Australia's you know, they didn't have it all their own way through the tournament. Um, they, you know, also lost their opening match and, um, and then sort of had a bit of a scare against Sri Lanka, had to scrape through the semi-final, um, that was rain affected as we've spoken about. So just the, the fight that they showed, it all came together on the right day at the right time. And with, with Healy and, and Mooney leading the way, I mean, they, they just, stole the show really at, at the end there um, for me in terms of um, individual performances. I think really the hallmark of, of the South African team was how well they play together and also how well they've responded to the coach Hilton Moreng, whose contract evidently is up in April. So, you know, this is really big for him that they got to the last four because I think it will mean that he'll stay on until the 2021 50 over World Cup. But I think Laura Wolfart, we can't look past her and she does seem to have a lot of big match temperament. She hits the ball hard. Um, she's got a lot of hidden talents. Um, she was studying to become a medical doctor. She seems to play musical instruments. So she's really one of these supremely talented and gifted people. And uh, she had a great tournament. And uh, I think Ayabonga Kaka, you know, she didn't uh, set the world alight, but she's been really consistent over several years and is kind of that missing piece in South Africa's bowling. So I was really impressed with her performance uh, as well. And then overall, um, I think Poonam Yadav really impressed me. I really liked her, her spark and her fight and also the fact that she's really, really short. I think, in fact, she's probably the only cricketer that's uh, shorter than Temba Baguma out there. So... Um, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed watching her bowl. And, you know, as Valk said, um, watching the Australian Openers yesterday, Alyssa Healy and, and Beth Mooney, just such power in their game as well, which is something, you know, we hear a lot about the contrast between the men's and women's game. And, and sometimes we don't, we don't need to be making those kind of comparisons, but to see women hit the ball really hard is, is really fantastic as well. I do have to say that I do, um, 
agree with for those there on uh, Poonam Yadav, just um, not just her stature, but also her speed through the air or lack thereof, the fact that she can bowl so slowly but still bowl so, in, you know, incredible with such incredible results. I think that was, was really intriguing. The whole thing was just so fabulous for, for women's sport and, and so great to see the kind of exposure and coverage that it got, especially here in South Africa. You know, we're still in a, a society very much that um, is is growing into women's sport and and just to see people getting excited, people watching, people talking about it, it's, it's really coming on. You know, the next T20 World Cup is going to be hosted here, so hopefully we can pull off a, a big showpiece like they did in Australia and we can fill up the bull ring. Thanks for those. Thanks, Val. Thank you. Thanks, bye. And that was always what this tournament was about. It was about showing that there's a pathway, there's, you know, there's female role models out there for young girls to look up to and, and really creating and inspiring young people to be involved. And not just young people, everyone within Australia and around the world, that, that cricket and sport is a really powerful platform. And That was, of course, T20 World Cup winning captain Meg Lanning saying it like it is, that this T20 World Cup is bigger than just any other cricket tournament. Now back to Melbourne with Onesha and Nasha. I want to move on now and just talk a little bit about the day in general. It was, I mean, you and I were both there, there from quite early, people queuing around Yarra Park, Katy Perry's first two songs, the, the cricket match, the victory, the, the, the concert at the end, International Women's Day, all the planning had come together, 86,000, just short of the world record for a women's sporting event, but that didn't really matter. It was just a tremendous occasion. I mean, what did you just make of the whole occasion, the whole tournament in a way, but specifically the final, the day, and everything coming together and kind of all it meant? It was as big as as it could get, really. I mean, this was not just a cricket tournament. This was not just a cricket cricket match, uh, a final uh, at that. This was more, way more than that, and it had to be a testament, uh, an advertisement for um, women's sport. Uh, all the sacrifices that these athletes, their uh, support systems, their families have made for so many years to uh, to just he- simply help these girls to uh, realize their sporting dreams. I think the final was the culmination of that. And it was not just about uh, a team be- beating another team uh, to, to lift the trophy. Because to see Katy Perry uh, sport that baby bump and perform dance to some of her child busters in the Australian team, uh, it was Breathtaking, and also the fact that McManning acknowledged earlier this morning that she is not the not the type who would go about hugging people. So for her to actually hug uh, Katy Perry and express herself with the uninhibited joy, it it really um, it really became uh, a, a testament to what it truly means for uh, Australia as a team, as a sporting nation, to make sure that uh, they ended this this campaign, this campaign they've been building for. Uh, for so many years now, all the planning that went into making it a success, they all culminated in that one moment, uh, in that title victory. Uh, and also uh, the presence of Billie Jean King, uh, a tennis legend, uh, 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 simply couldn't get better in terms of uh, being a torchbearer of women's sport. She's done so much for the sport already and uh, a voice for championing, championing uh, the cause of equal pay for her to be there at the MCG in front of 86,174 people, not to mention the journalists who were typing their way away, uh, posting stuff on social media, 
I think it just simply uh, enriched the enormity of the occasion and added to the narrative around the Women's T20 World Cup that Australia were supposed to uh, host and host with a certain degree of professionalism. And uh, for Australia, the home side to lift that trophy, I think it was a perfect uh, finale. Well, let's do what we always have to do at the end of a tournament like this. Let's pick out some star players and perhaps players we should look forward to the future and we'll have a quick chat about maybe where the game goes next. Then let's start with um, the player of the tournament. It was officially named as as Beth Mooney. I guess it's hard to see beyond that, isn't it, really? A, a record okay. amount of runs, key, key performances at key moments. Um, no real argument that she was player of the tournament. Well, I think the cricketing side of things aside, I'm simply going to pick her, uh, the player of the, tin, uh, of the tournament, by dint of her being a dog person. She said that one of the things she loves doing, aside from yes, scoring a lot of runs, is, uh, is walking up to strangers. And if she ever spots a dog uh, on a sidewalk or some such place, she would make sure she pats the dog. So I think that's a huge plus for anybody who's just been uh, just been in the in the middle of this purple patch. Uh, so yeah, that's another advantage for uh, on her part, uh, which is why I'm going to certainly pick her as my player of the tournament. But yes, coming back to the cricketing side of things, uh, it's certainly hard to look uh, look beyond a Beth Mooney because uh, their batting too has had its fair share of wobbles, as you rightly mentioned. So for her to put her hand up at various stages in various key phases, her her uh, twenty odd runs, twenty eight if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the game against uh, in the semi final where Meg Lanning anchored the chase with a run above 40, 49. Uh, run above 49 I think that 20 those 20 odd runs too were crucial in the context of the game South Africa won, uh, won uh, South Africa lost only by a margin of 5 runs or so so had had Meg Lanning not got the kind of support that Bet Mooney gave I think uh, an India-South Africa final was not an impossibility keeping that in mind uh, Mooney's support and also her feeling she took a few breathtaking catches yesterday and something yes we often often tend to take it uh, for granted you know we, we we assume that the Australian team given their history as a top uh, as a world class uh, fielding side are not going to fluff their lines when it comes to fielding but she did she ran miles after miles and made sure uh, she threw herself on the field and uh, takes those catches and eventually that proved to be uh, a huge factor in deciding the champions last night because on the one hand you had India shelling two catches, two crucial ones at that and here was Beth Mooney uh, running about being the boundary rider, fielding within the, in, fielding in, inside the circle and taking those important catches. So batting uh, checkbox ticked, fielding checkbox ticked, uh, who other than Beth Mooney can we give this award to? Um, and she would. She was saying today she'd like to get the wicket-keeping gloves back at Sunday. I'm not sure what Alyssa Healy will make of that. I think Beth might have to wait for her time behind the stumps. I guess, in a way, one of the more interesting questions to ask is who of the young players that we've seen over the last few weeks we think will go on to have long, successful uh, careers. Some have already been in the game a little while, but I thought one of the ones that stood out was Laura Vowa from South Africa, her half-century against Pakistan was a, a wonderful innings. Her driving was second only probably to Alyssa Healy in the final and she all, she kept the game just about alive in the in the semi final. Um just Anesha, just just pick out a couple of names that you've seen over the last couple of weeks. I suspect I know one you you, you, you might mention in the list, um, who you think will go on and, and could hopefully dominate the women's game for the next sort of decade or so. 
I think I'm going to start off with two England spinners. Uh, one of them have been uh, with the side for a while now. She's become quite the leader in the spin attack. Sophie Eccleston, the, the current uh, number one ranked uh, bowler in T20Is. She's been outstanding and uh, it, again, it's a shame that England could not play that final, which could have, uh, which would have been the best way to uh, decide their merit. Uh, and again, Sophie Eccleston could have played a huge part in that uh, had had we got a game at the SCG. She was outstanding with her left arm left arm spin and fellow spinner, leg spinner, uh, Sarah Glenn was quite impressive through the tournament. Uh, in the tri-series, I remember this one uh, delivery she bowled to Meg Lanning. It, was, it took the off stump of leg, uh, Meg Lanning and uh, she's she's proof that uh, she's got the, got the goods to... Um, come in cr- crunch situations and deliver for her side. So other than uh, Sophie Eccleston and Sarah Glenn, I would uh, perhaps have to uh, most certainly mention a batter, and it has to be Shafali Verma, all of 16. Uh, tremendous power, tremendous fearlessness. I've never seen a 16-year-old uh, strike the ball with such fearlessness and power. I mean, the kind of uh, the kind of force she's able to inject in a stroke play is mind-boggling, because uh, if, if that if then one six she uh, six she struck in the tri series a seventy nine meter six of Ellis Perry that went straight uh, behind the the side screen uh, her sixes in this tournament I think she struck nine of them uh, in total were even better and she kept uh, improving her scores through the league stage which was again a, a great trend to notice in a in a young player like that uh, obviously she didn't have the kind of uh, match she would. She would have wanted to have in the final. Uh, she scored only two runs, and uh, she was massively disappointed. Just going by the looks of, uh, of the, by the looks of how things panned out for her, first the drop catch and then just those two runs. It was not her day. But Shifali is somebody India need to uh, invest heavily in, and also manage her workload because I'm pretty sure she's going to get a get a maiden ODI call up soon, and it's not just going to be the T20SI that's going to be relying on Shifali Verma as their opener, but uh, India do need some impetus up at the top. Uh, their uh, their openers have done reasonably well. The left-handed uh, Smithy Mandana has been. Uh, has been a prominent feature and a consistent one at that uh, in their ODI setup. But the uh, other ones, I think Shafali is certainly going to push uh, push them for a side in the place. And uh, about time that uh, about time we saw somebody in the ODI setup who can give them the kind of uh, opening in the public that uh, that they've not had uh, in a while. Other than of course Smriti Madana playing the kind of innings uh, she's known to play. Apart from these three, uh, Natakan Chantam a standout uh, player from the Thailand team, the debutants. What a story has it been for uh, Chantam because had that game not been washed out, uh, which was highly unfortunate, probably even more unfortunate than uh, than the semi-final washout uh, on so many levels because there was a, there was a great upset, upset story waiting to happen. The game against Pakistan and Chantam with that 56-odd runs against uh, Pakistan showed that uh, this is the Thailand side who have made their way into the tournament proper, not uh, not by uh, not by means of uh, cricket that you would rate uh, below par than most of the sides they were competing against. But she played proper cricketing shots. Some of those drives, uh, square drives and cover drives, especially were uh, were were a delight to watch. And her thirty odd runs against England. 
uh, too was quite crucial and uh, she oozed a lot of promise in that knock as well so chantam is certainly a standout for me and one of the one of the highlights uh, from the tournament overall well let's just finish off by just kind of throwing the net a, a bit wider and looking what might be to come next we've had a spectacular tournament here in australia with a, a fantastic finish the next big tournament on the horizon is the 50 over world cup this time next year in new zealand the next t20 uh, which is the last women's tournament locked in the schedule at the moment in 2022 is in south africa uh, so two big tournaments in the next next two years we obviously before that we have the qualifiers in sri lanka um, later this year there's the there's the challenge ipl matches you mentioned what does the women's game need to do now from here to build on this? It's felt game-changing, but it can't be game-changing unless it's followed up. So what what is what are the key strides, the key things? You've already mentioned the women's IPL. That's probably top, near top of the list. But what else needs to happen for the women's game to make sure this isn't just looked back on as a, as, as a one-off? One of the most important uh, steps towards making sure that the momentum that's, that this tournament has uh, been able to offer is capitalized uh, is uh, capitalized on is by making sure that the under-19 uh, World Cup that's going to take place for the first time in Bangladesh next year most likely to take place uh, sometime either ahead of the uh, ODI World Cup or perhaps uh, in the middle of the year no matter what the window uh, the ICC end up choosing uh, they've got to make sure that uh, they get most participation the best participation that they can get from as many teams as possible because that's the future and you will see uh, perhaps the Shifali Burmas and uh, some of the other teenagers uh, playing in that tournament because they're only 16 and 17 at the moment uh, uh, that's one thing uh, that many many teams would be looking forward to uh, in terms of uh, giving their girls the kind of exposure that a world tournament offers. Obviously, the quality of competition will not be as high as you see in a senior World Cup, but uh, they need that exposure. They need to make mistakes on a world stage. They need to go through that many interviews, you know, answer those many questions at press conferences, soak everything up, and yet make sure that when it comes to delivering on the cricket, they, they remain uh, steadfast and they they are able to uh, make their skills count. That's one thing and the other being the 2022 Commonwealth Games, which is going to be held in the UK. So that's another uh, medal that I think uh, most of most of these teams will be vying for uh, and uh, if, if a team like Thailand can go on to uh, participate in that, I think it, it would be a great follow-up story to their participation here at the T20 World Cup in Australia. Other than that, if I have to look, uh, look at things from a strictly subcontinental perspective, a women's IPL is the next big thing as Meg Lanning has been calling uh, has been demanding for a while now because unless you give give them opportunities to to express themselves uh, gel with uh, international players of the caliber of an Alisa Healy or a Meg Lanning uh, these Bangladesh players or uh, the Indian players may not uh, may not have uh, adequate uh, room or uh, opportunities on at their disposal to get that kind of exposure which are which a women's IPL, a full-fledged women's IPL can. So that's one box that uh, hopefully the BCCR will take uh, very soon. And uh, a strong and decisive step towards that is obviously the four-team, the expanded version. But yeah, if there is an eight-team or a seven-team tournament, I think uh, it would really do a world of good to the women's uh, game. 
just finally, and without moving into a whole new conversation that probably needs an entire new podcast, but the other big women's tournament on the horizon is the 100 in England in, in the English summer. A completely different format, not played anywhere else, don't get me started. <laughs> but do you think it's close enough to T20 to be valuable? Or do you think it's a bit of a risk having that different format for the for the development of the women's game. Obviously, as you mentioned earlier, it means the KSL is defunct, so England's leading cricketers um, don't have an opportunity to play domestically high-level 2020. But just more broadly, um, do you think that 100 can still be a useful vehicle, is it close enough to the T20 format to still be valuable? As long as it can throw up uh, players like Sarah Glenn and Sophie Eccleston and... Uh, uh, a lot of their, a lot of the paces that they've uh, fielded in the recent international tournaments, I'm happy. I do not, I do not quite care uh, as to what uh, the number of bowl uh, deliveries will be. Um, yes, uh, the participation again. It's an international tournament, and uh, many of the best coaches in the world, like Matthew Mott, uh, for example, will be part of uh, the hundred. So. For, for these coaches to be able to impart their knowledge to uh, up-and-coming young talent, talent, whether it be local talent from the UK or young players from uh, Asian countries, Australia or uh, some other nations, I think it's only going to help improve uh, the overall quality and uh, and nature uh, of, uh, of competition in the women's game. So it's certainly, um, it's certainly better than not having anything. I mean, I would not... Uh, I would not quite like the idea to like the like the idea uh, for the KSL to go absolutely defunct and them not having anything uh, else in in place for that. But yeah, um, let's see how that goes. Let's uh, let's be positive, and I'm pretty sure uh, the ECB will uh, will do the kind of job that's needed to be done uh, to make sure that after two World Tournament highs, their 2017 World Cup triumph at home. Uh, and they went on to play the finals in the 2018 edition of the T20 World Cup. They will look to bounce back. Yes, they were sort of robbed of an opportunity to uh, stake a claim to the world title title this time around. Can't help it. They such were uh, such were um, the issues around uh, the the rain uh, the rainfall in Sydney. But yes, uh, the ECB will certainly want their uh, women's players to. Uh, get back to winning ways as far as world tournaments are concerned and also they're chastening Ashes defeat. Uh, that's something they're looking to uh, put behind themselves and some of their key senior players uh, are perhaps in the twilight of their career. Will Catherine Brunt feature in the ODI World Cup next year? Will she go on to play the 2020, uh, 2022 version of the T20 World Cup? All of these questions need to be answered and uh, possibly they could find replacements uh, although it seems unlikely anyone can replace a player of the caliber of Catherine Brandt. But uh, what do we know? They could come up. Uh, they could find players in the like uh, in the mold of uh, Brandt or uh, or uh, you know players who've retired in the recent past, like Jenny Gunn, uh, through these tournaments. Uh, hopefully, um, the hundred will be one of them, just as the case has uh, been, because some of their young talents, uh, as I mentioned earlier, has come through the KSL uh, route. And maybe the highlight can, uh, maybe the hundred can be a highlight in that regard and replicate the success of uh, the KSL. Well, we'll wrap things up there 
for this chat. Um, thank you for your time, Esher, and thank you for your Very work much. over the last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun bringing this tournament to you. It does feel like it's been a game-changer for the women's game. Any of us who were at the MCG um, last night won't forget it in a long time. But that's all we have for you from Melbourne today. Uh, thank you for listening to us on Stump Mike. And we are going to end this with a Katy Perry song, aren't we? We're not really. Don't panic. Uh, I, I don't do singing. This was ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other major podcast platform. Until next time, cheerio!